0: We've always come up with this myth of you should be well-rounded and you should predominantly focus on those areas that you're weak in. The problem with that is if you don't have talent in an area, no matter how much you work, you're never going to be more than pretty good.
1: Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of the Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast is actually two guests uh, joining me from uh, Georgia are John Gregory Vinson and Deb Fortin, uh, and they are the principal advisor and president of the Submarine Way. So uh, John, Deb, welcome to the Inspire Podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah,
1: we're to- very glad to be here. Yeah, I'm very glad to have you. You've uh, you've both had really neat careers that have led you to creating this company that tackles inclusion, you know, a topic near and dear to my heart and at the Humphrey Group, tackles inclusion in a very unique way, which we'll talk about in a moment. But first, a little background on both of you. Deb, I know you spent your career in the corporate world. You were you did a decade at ADP, you were at Reliant Energy, and uh and now you're you know, co-founder of the submarine way and president. And John, your your career is is a very different career in that you started at joining the U.S. Navy and the nuclear submarine and working your way all the way up to the most senior enlisted rank of command master chief. And then I know you spent some time at Gallup, and now you're co-founders of the submarine way. So maybe I'll I'll just stop there. I mean, you you both have this this kind of different backgrounds, but tell me what is the submarine way and what do you do?
2: It. It provides a methodology through our training, through our reinforcement and our reinforcement tools that uh, drives inclusion, better engagement in organizations. And, you know, the the methodology is really wrapped around this idea that if you build better leaders, mm-hmm. more inclusive leaders, that you get better results as a business.
1: Hmm. And I think that's, that's so timely, you know, we know that for years, diversity was, was the buzzword and the topic and the goal, but that diversity without inclusion just doesn't lead to results. So that's one of the reasons I'm excited to talk to you to understand how you tangibly teach inclusion. And, and John, I'm guessing that's your, your part of the story of how the name came about. What is the submarine way philosophically and how did you develop it? <laughs>
0: Uh, dev extracted this because I was too close from my i spent almost 15 years underway on submarines and uh, i did not realize just how effective this methodology was at its at its core you're you said something very very important which is a lot of organizations start with diversity and that's actually last it should not be first mm-hmm. what has to come first is equity and inclusion you don't build a culture mm-hmm. That is equitable. And we equate equitable to talent. Uh, And the reason we do that is obviously equity is different than equality. Equality is assuming everybody starts in the same place and has the same needs. Mm -hmm. Equity is everybody has different needs and starts in a different place. Well, the place we start is talent. So we're talent-based. And then once you're talent-based and we know what you're good at and we know what Deb's good at and we know what John's good at. Now we can be interdependent, meaning I need you in order for me to be successful, and then I'll be collaborative. And interdependent collaboration is our definition of inclusion. And once you have inclusion, as long as you are focused on a mission, you will produce results far beyond what a group of folks working off a job description will. Mm-hmm. So. Strength-based or talent-based, inclusion-focused, mission-oriented is the first step of the methodology. Mm-hmm. It comes right out of submarines, and it literally answers a pretty amazing question, which is how on earth does a bunch of 20-year-olds, which is about the average age on a submarine, with high school diplomas, 80% of the people on subs only have a high school diploma, how do they operate the most sophisticated vessel ever created in the universe? And I'm including space stations and everything else in that without ever there being a, not a single nuclear accident. And the answer is they are a strength-based, inclusion-focused mission. Mm.
1: On okay, so now we get to the real reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast. I mean, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a history major by background. You know, My degree was in international relations and espionage. So I'm, I, I always love the opportunity to talk about you know, the military. So give me your like one minute on life on a nuclear submarine. Because I know it's it's important context for the you know the five point system that you're going to lay out for us. So what's it like to be on the nuclear sub?
0: Take a take a very nice um, whatever word you're familiar with, Winnebago or Coachman <laughs> or, or a nice RV. Pack it with 120 people, about 80 of which you don't like very much. <laughs> um, drive it into a big hole and cover it in dirt, and come up in three, four, or five months. Uh, wow. It, it, it's an environment Bart, where you where a few things, you're, you know, we, we think about that one annoying person at work, but at least we have nights and weekends to get away from them. Right. On a submarine, you're never more than 15 feet away from <laughs> that, that person that bugs oh you. My God. And it gets, it actually gets even better because on a submarine with 120 people, there's typically only 80 bunks. So you're literally sharing a bed with this person that you don't like and don't get along with. Huh. You have to create a system on that submarine where people can work through biases, work through their prejudices, work through, frankly, their racism, and and fundamentally work with each other. You're never more than four feet away, and I'm not including the ocean, which will kill you instantly. I'm talking internally. You're never more than three or four feet away from something that will decapitate you or or crush you instantly. High-pressure air, high-pressure oil. High explosives, a nuclear reactor, chemicals, chemicals. <laughs> so it is it is an incredibly hostile world. Um, and again, run by a bunch of high school students. Hmm. It's so if there's not a system there. And then the last thing I will say to that world is every three years, that entire crew changes over. So imagine an organization or a business unit with 120 people that has 100% turnover, yet no effect on what they produce. It's a, mm. it's an amazing petri dish of how humans can work together if they're focused.
2: And this and, system really takes mm-hmm. the, the 18, 19, 20-year-olds and turns them into leaders. Yeah. And they, they might be a leader of a process, but they're still leading. They're still holding themselves accountable for a particular result. They're holding others accountable for a particular result. So this system of leadership is really what is creating mm-hmm. uh, these very dependable, very accurate, together, relatively inexperienced young, mm-hmm. young people.
1: And how much does this nuclear submarine cost? I'm curious. Oh, boy. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure it's billions. <laughs> no and so just the, the thought of <laughs> your point, Deb... To build a to lot. have these 18, 19 year olds to forge them into this group that becomes responsible for this. I mean, is truly a system. And I know, Deb, um, you kind of ex- listen when you you listen to John's stories and you you pulled the system out. So maybe sum up, you know, what are the five points in the system, and then we can go through each of them. And, and maybe, John, you share a bit of your experience, and Deb, you can talk about the lesson for organizations, people listening who may not be going on a nuclear submarine, but want to create an inclusive environment as well.
2: Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to ask John to talk about the system because he weaves why mm, great. Uh, on the submarine, <laughs> why these five pieces of the system exist. And then I'll tell you about why I knew there was a system, because there mm. has to be for that kind of repeatable behavior.
1: Okay. John, what's the first step in the system? The first step is onboarding, the check-in
0: process. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's what's extremely unique about submarines. Whether you're the commanding officer who's literally reporting to their fifth, sixth, seventh submarine, or you are that 18-year-old right out of basic training, maybe with school, maybe without school, you both go through a check-in process. Mm. It's, it, it, would, it would be unheard of in, in, in the private sector that you would be asking your CEO. Now, granted, they're modified, right? I mean, there's steps that this commanding officer mm-hmm. gets to skip, but, not, but everyone goes through an onboarding process. And the purpose of that is to make sure you meet all the key players, you have all the resources, people know you, you know them, um, you're 18 years mm-hmm. old, and put this in terms of maybe a division vice president, if it's a smaller unit of 120 people. That brand new employee who who's literally there to clean toilets within 48 hours has a meeting with that senior vice president for that department and spends mm. a half hour not talking business, talking about where they're from, what they do, what their goals are, what their passions are. That onboarding process lays all the groundwork for talent-based, inclusion-focused, mission-oriented. It's literally demonstrated in your check-in process. Mm. It gets you focused on what your role is, how it fits into the mission, how other people fit in with you, and that we're going to predominantly develop you based on your talents. So let me,
1: let me ask you then, let's, because I'm never going to work on a nuclear submarine, let's imagine I've enlisted. So give me, give me my job. What am I doing? What, am I, what is my rank?
0: Uh, tip, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Okay. It's, it's obviously pretty easy. Um, I, I showed up, I, I went to some schooling. I was a navigator. So I went to some schooling um, and then I showed up on my first submarine and I was in E2 enlisted ranks in the United States Navy run from E1 to E9. So I've gone from E1 to E2 because of some things I did in basic training and stuff. So you go to basic training, Mm -hmm. then you go to some type of very, very basic school and then you go to submarine school. Uh, mm-hmm. And submarine school teaches you generically about how submarines work, how, how the hydraulics work, how the air works.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Because one of the fundamental principles, Barton, this, this, is, this is really important for your listeners. What submarines do better than any other organization in the world mm-hmm. is just because I'm there to navigate, I have to understand how a nuclear reactor works. And I have to understand some key components and some key valves. There are no silos on a submarine, as there are in almost every organization, whether it's an academic organization, whether it's a private organization, whether it's a municipality. They typically run highly siloed. That's, that's death on a submarine. So you get on a submarine, mm-hmm. and as you're being onboarded and as you're, as you're being part of the culture, you're being introduced to everything, not just everyone, so that you have an understanding of how your role fits into the bigger role and the bigger mission.
1: What kind of onboarding? Because most companies would say onboarding is important. What kind of onboarding leads to a culture of inclusion?
2: I think it, it recognizes that that the individuals who are doing the onboarding are leading something important. So you know, there's there's a leadership element to it, mm-hmm. and those those leaders need to understand that these individuals are valuable. They're valuable to the organization, but When you think about the system, it isn't any one thing that's more important than the other. It's Mm -hmm. the synergy of those five Mm -hmm. things that is really most powerful. So if you get your onboarding right, and they Mm -hmm. have a great experience, and guess what? The other four elements of the system aren't there or are badly done, then you might as well throw out your onboarding because it isn't isn't going to last. That just sets the stage for how people feel about the organizations and sets the stage for the retention that you want them to have. And, you know, one of the things that I say uh, in our first book is that there are literally people that I know, including myself, that the very first day from that onboarding experience, you decided your departure.
1: So your point, it's the, it's just the start. So what's the second step in the system?
0: Second step is everyone matters if they contribute, which sounds okay. extremely
1: harsh. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's And I think it's it's interesting because it sounds, you wouldn't hear that in the corporate world. You know, the corporate world say, well, you know, everyone matters. And so t- take me into that.
0: Uh, everyone matters if they contribute. And again, I'm talking on submarine is, and every organization can relate to this, only we don't have the ability to hire. I've never went to see on a submarine that was fully crewed. We're always just like most organizations missing key people. Submarines are missing key people. Literally, I've never gone to sea one time with a fully crewed submarine. So that sounds a little
1: unnerving. Like, what? Like, is there someone who's not operating the radar, the sonar, or someone who's like not ready to fire the missiles? Like, how do you? Doesn't that kind of (laughs) unsettle you?
2: What are we gonna do? (laughs) Um,
0: It's it's what everybody says. You do more with less. I Hmm. mean, the mission still has to be done, but you have to be in incredibly efficient and effective with your utilization of, of people. That's why everyone matters, comma, if they contribute. You literally cannot afford to have somebody who is not contributing. Hmm. We're not going to shoot them out of torpedo tube. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to execute <laughs> the you know, surface and throw them overboard.
2: There's uh, an incredible amount of pressure on them to perform. Right. And by perform, we mean get
0: qualified for watch, get qualified in submarines, understand everybody's role, everybody's department, everybody's division. So that you can become a fully functioning, contributing member of the crew, because if you're not, somebody else is picking up to your point, somebody still has to man man the watch, somebody still Mm -hmm. has to to, to make sure that the torpedoes are ready to be used, you know, if we need to use them. It's not like you can go, oh, well, we don't have that person here, maybe Mm -hmm. next month. So you have to contribute to the organization. And that mindset is not a cruel mindset because step one is we're doing it through the lens of talent. We want you to work in areas that you're most passionate about. We want you to work in areas that you've chosen. Most people pick their field. They don't get assigned to their field. And we want to help you become an expert as quickly as possible. Mm. But at the end of the day, if you're not contributing to your role to fulfill the mission, you're gone. And what I mean by that is, you're not going to get qualified in submarines, and you're going to get thrown off of subs again. Not at sea. We don't kill anybody, uh, <laughs> but you can't be part. You can't be part of the organization. You cannot afford to have people that are not contributing. So everyone, but by the way, if they that, contribute.
2: right, but that happens very rarely. That someone doesn't contribute, they they figure out pretty quickly that they need to contribute, and they need to they need to matter to the rest of the crew, and they they shape up. But and there's tons of support there as well. And there's,
0: ton, yeah, Bart, the, the other part of that, to Deb's <laughs> point, is following on that onboarding process, it's like, great, now you know now you know where your bunk is and your watch station, have a nice life. No, it's <laughs> it, to Deb's point, that's the first step. There is so much support to get you qualified, to get you educated, to get you up and running. I mean, everyone <laughs> on the crew, literally, you know, there's some jousting that goes on and some little verbal abuse here and there, and I wouldn't recommend that for outside of subs. But it's all with the intention of making you. So Mm -hmm. it's not like you're on your own. You literally have 120 people, kind of in their own way, pulling for you. Mm -hmm. Because your success is their success.
1: So one of the things you you mentioned is to find find everyone's value, find how they can contribute. So here I am. So I'm in. I've given my. I've been given my bunk on the boat. I know it's not a ship. It's a bunk on the boat uh, that I'm going to be sharing. How do you then set about? How would I experience having that? Team of 120 fellow crew people help me unlock where I can contribute the most. Oh wow,
2: that's a great question. That's a great question, and
0: and the simple
1: answer is it's your qualification. Okay. The way
0: submarines and watch station qualifications are set up on the submarine, and it's absolutely intentional. You could you could you could do this with a handful of people, but by design, there are only certain people you can go to to get a checkout in order to to show that you you, you understand certain parts of the submarine. There's only certain people you can go to, and that's very. The design is Hmm. from beginning to end, by the time you are, quote, unquote, done, and you're ready for qualification in submarines, you have literally spent, whether you wanted to or not, anywhere from one to five or six hours with almost everybody who's qualified on that submarine. Hmm. It's very intentional in what we call now in our business, the virtual cup of coffee. One of the most powerful things we can do with each other is to just sit down and have a conversation. That's Mm. how you really start to know and learn each other. Well, on a submarine, it's by design. I didn't know Mm. it was by design until Deb came along and unpacked it, but it was incredibly intentional. So literally your qualification process, yes, you're learning how to operate those hydraulics. Yes, you're learning how to navigate, but you're also learning everybody else's role Mm. and everybody else's fit into the mission so that you can make decisions independently if necessary in a moment's notice, in a moment of crisis. So that's how. And by the way,
2: there's a specific role. It's called a C daddy or C mommy, huh. and uh, those are individuals who have the responsibility of helping, mentor, and coach, and push those people into getting uh, qualified.
1: Interesting. Huh. So Deb, take take that now into the corporate world. You know, we're obviously not going to give someone their bunk, <laughs> but how do you? get everyone buying to this idea of everyone matters, but you've got to contribute?
2: Well, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, understanding that people have strengths mm-hmm. and allowing those individuals to work in a talent area is going to help them be more successful. And, and if I focus on a talent area, mm-hmm. I'm also driving inclusion. The second piece of that is, is the idea of a sea daddy is really a mentor program. Hmm. It's like, if you have a good, strong mentorship program in the chapter under ombudsman, which we'll get to in a second, but you have people who are really there for you, people you can talk to, people who help you from the very beginning understand what your role in that company is. They'll help you be successful with career pathing or I call it the zig and zag. Mm -hmm. which is I don't necessarily go all the way up in a straight line, but Mm -hmm. I go over into roles where I can be successful with my talents. That mentor becomes my sea daddy in a business. And we talk about how it's so applicable and we train, train uh, organizations about how applicable the idea of a mentor is very similar to what a sea daddy is and what an ombudsman is um, on, on a submarine.
0: Yeah, fundamentally, Mm. we we have professional development wrong, and we've had it wrong Mm. forever. And and, and the reason we have it wrong under Everyone Matters, if Mm -hmm. they contribute, is we've always come up with this myth of you should be well-rounded, and you should predominantly focus on those areas that you're weak in. The problem with that is if you don't have talent in an area, no matter how much you work, you're never going to be more than pretty good. I mean, Mm -hmm. you might get the pretty good, but you're expending a tremendous amount of energy it is mm-hmm. much more efficient to be competent in those areas, and then to be great in the areas where you have a concentration of talent. So, mm-hmm. with that mentor, is part of that mentor's job in the corporate world is to help you identify and develop yourself. Not where we always have, which is five minutes on what you're good at, fifty-five minutes on your performance review is on what you're not good at. Right, It would just be the opposite. You should manage the weakness and spend most of your time in your areas of talent because that's where your excellence comes from.
1: And then well, it, re- it reminds me of Gallup, where you spent yeah. time, uh, uh, the book, I think it was Marcus Buckingham, now yeah. discover your strengths, you know, exactly that same idea. And that really resonated with me. Why are we forcing people <laughs> to be, you know, kind of mediocre <laughs> when we can really get them passionate about being exceptional?
2: Makes complete sense.
1: Let's move to your third point, which which is a really interesting term. I'm, I'm excited to hear you define of crew immunity. Did, did I say that right? You got it. Crew immunity. Okay, so what is no, crew
0: immunity? Not mutiny. Yeah, not
1: mutiny. Yeah, not mutiny. Yeah, not mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> so what's crew immunity?
0: Crew crew is an advisable term. Uh, people, I'm, I'm huge on the right language. I, it, I, you know, it's talent, mm-hmm. not necessarily strength. And the crew is the highest form of interdependent collaboration. If, hmm. if you look at the highest functioning unit in your organization, and they are just absolutely brilliant. And by every measure, they're outperforming everybody mm-hmm. in the industry, in your then what you're looking at is a crew. And the diff, there, there's really three levels. You have a group of people who they kind of show up and they have a job description, and they sort of do their thing. The next level is a team. Uh, and a team is much more focused on a mission. They're much more focused on, mm-hmm. OK, we're sort of here together. We're sort of working in the same direction. And I have a, I have my job, you have your job. Um, maybe you start crossing over into role. A role is much more focused on the result than a, than, than a job is. A job is just mm-hmm. an activity. But you're, you're really starting to move and you're starting to talk with each other a little bit. But the highest form bar is a crew. In a crew hmm. and only in a crew, do you actually own your role? Hmm. Um, to Deb's point of every single person is a leader whether I'm leading myself or I'm leading a team, I have to own my role and my responsibilities to getting to the mission. I have to hold myself accountable. I have to hold my peers accountable. These are extremely high level and you only see them in what we define as a crew. When you take a crew and it combines with other crew members, you build a crew community. Hmm. You literally build an organization that's firing on the highest levels of accountability, of personal leadership, of peer responsibility, of mission focus—it's a beautiful thing to see, but it's a very, very high standard. And I want to just
1: ask you something because you earlier on you allude to the fact that you know you're jamming 120 people into a tin can, locking the hatch right now, the door. I want to make sure I get my terminology right here, and then you're you're going on a you know, multi-month mission, and many of these people um, don't like each other or have. Prejudices, biases, or even overt racism. So, how do you forge this crew community when you have these kind of deep-seated differences?
0: You can uncover bias, right? You can discover mm-hmm. unconscious bias. You can un- you can uncover uh, systemic racism. You can uncover all those things. But the submarine force would say, "Okay, now what?" What's much more important and much much more effective is rather than pretend you can get somebody to not have their bias. You have to put something more important than bias ahead of it. What's more important than a person's bias is getting things done and being successful. Everyone mm. matters if they contribute, in being part of a community, in being part of a mission. What happens then is I realize that Bob, who doesn't look like me, who if I met Bob in out in town, I wouldn't even cross the street to meet him. And if we did meet, we'd probably fight. Now mm. I'm looking at Bob through a different lens. Not the lens of, okay, we're on the same cruise, so let's all love each other. That's movie stuff. And that's not Mm. reality. But you know what? Bob fixes the navigation equipment that I use. If it breaks, I don't get home without Bob. And Mm. if I can't navigate, Bob doesn't get home without me. Bob is now important. Therefore, I am interdependent on Bob. I now will collaborate with Bob. And now we move into that virtual cup of coffee. Once I start talking with Bob as he's fixing my equipment, Bob's a pretty decent guy. And I Hmm. all of a sudden now replace that overt bias with something more important, which is my job, his job, my role, his role, and the mission. Hmm. So it's not done in a training session where we're all going to love each other. It's done by replacing our biases with something more important, Hmm. which is the bigger goal, the bigger project of the team. That's that's how it works.
1: Really, really interesting. So I got got a follow-up question here. A lot of the work of diversity inclusion training is, as you say, to uncover unconscious bias or conscious bias, and then, you know, help people build empathy and then overcome it. What I'm hearing in the submarine is y- you just kind of say like, so what? We've got to focus on not necessarily loving each other, but respecting and working together. Does that ultimately then lead to an elimination of those biases? Or is it once you get out of the submarine, those people still wouldn't cross the street for each other? Yeah, that's uh,
2: another really good question. Yeah. Um, I would say that our experience has been bias is a very deep-seated thing. And even even awareness of Mm -hmm. of bias, of unconscious bias, isn't going to eliminate bias. But if you build the skills to be able to look beyond that to the talent, strengths, and what makes that person important and valuable, you always have that skill and you always use that skill. Mm. Now, I, I can still see someone that I haven't had that virtual cup of coffee with in terms of this bias that I have. But if I know and I'm aware and I have this new tool that I use to view Mm -hmm. the world, then I can replace that bias with that new tool. And we see it happening a lot. I mean, in, in, uh, I'll say one of the cities that we've worked with a lot, we've worked with them a couple of years. uh, They had a very, um, they had a way of looking at their leaders. And I'll, I'll be frank, they wanted their leaders to be male, and they wanted their leaders for the most part to be, to be white males. Mm-hmm. And they have been, been through the training, learned to see people for their talents and for their strengths. Mm-hmm. And the, the city leaders look entirely different than what they did two and a half or three years ago. And they continue to use that skill and backfilling roles that they have and viewing the community and the strengths of the community. So I don't think it's ever lost. I think it's there and it is a tool that you can pull out of the tool belt and use at any point. Hmm.
1: Let's go to your, your next principle. Um, and and I, you've both alluded to it before, but the having an ombudsman. T- mm-hmm. Take me into that, John.
0: Yeah. Now, in the purest sense of submarines and actually the ombudsman is, is throughout the Navy for 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 anybody mm-hmm. who deploys, uh, they are essentially the liaison between um, the families and the command. Um, mm-hmm. submarines, submarines are a very unique, even even in the desert. And I'm not comparing. I'm not saying submarines are a harsher or worse thing than when you're under under enemy fire uh, in a desert. But even in a desert environment, there are sat phones where you can. Right given a given situation, make, make a call home. Um, you can do video conferencing on a ship. Uh, you can have a, on a submarine, there is zero outbound communication. You are literally <laughs> cut off from the world as far as outbound. So there is no dialogue. So the ombudsman is really the person who has the ability, any problems that come up family-wise or, or things like that. They, they have a direct liaison to the very senior people in your squadron, um, up, upstream of your commanding officer. When you're in port, they have a direct link to your commanding officer. Think of a person who has entrance to the C suite, even though they may not have, Hmm. you know, an official role. How does that, how does that translate? It translates to, to yes, mentoring, yes, coaching, but also running parallel to HR in that if you have problems, if you have, um, situations that are coming up in your organization, who can you go to? Who are those trusted advisors that A are safe to speak to, but also have influence at senior levels in the organization? It's not to subvert your HR efforts or any other reporting efforts. It's actually to bolster them in a safe environment so that people can bring things up. The the reality of most problems, Mark, is that they start really small Mm -hmm. and they fester. If you address them when they're small, you solve so many problems that become unimaginably difficult when they're left for a year or two. So the ombudsman plays a critical Hmm. role in another avenue to address issues or maybe to boil up some really good innovations in a way separate from the traditional reporting chain or the traditional in charge.
1: And I I want you to take me back to when you were uh, early on in your career. What would be like something that we as civilians would not think about that can quickly become very annoying on a submarine where an ombudsman could could be a, a key person to go to?
0: We we'll, we call it the rumor mill, and now I'm not going to be on the submarine. I'm actually going to be I'm going to be hmm. back, I'm going to be back at home. And one of the most common ones is I've heard that I've heard they've been extended, meaning they're not coming back in three weeks and not coming back for four months. And that, that, that happens anytime you get underway. The family that that starts someplace. Somebody says something out loud about something like that happening. Hmm. You can't, as a civilian, even though you're you might be married to a person on a submarine, you can't just walk into squadron and go, hey, what's the real deal? I mean, there's classification issues here. There's 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 I mean, our stuff is is pretty buttoned up, either secret or top secret mm-hmm. work. So you don't have a way to find out what the real information is. So mm-hmm. you as a crew member have to be comforted, comforted to know there is somebody who's getting the real information to your family. Mm-hmm. So that again. You can give 100% of your focus to your role and your mission and not be worried about, my gosh, does my husband even know that you know this, that, or the other thing? So you have that, that trust knowing that that ombudsman does have the ability to go to squadron, get a classified briefing, and then unclassified, put it out to everybody hmm. in the crew on what's really going on. It's a huge comfort to those of us underneath the ocean because we have no way of communicating. So we count on that ombudsman to provide that critical link to us. It's a very important thing.
1: Hmm. So Deb, what's the what's the lesson here for organizations uh, trying to get more inclusive from the ombudsman?
2: The ombudsman is someone, as John said, who uh, who has a direct link to the command. in In a really large organization, in a in a corporate division, it is very hard to get a message directly to the person who heads up that division, mm-hmm. the president of that division. If the issue is serious enough, it probably should be going to the person who heads up that division, but it's very hard. And a lot of times it gets, it gets stalled at the lower levels of the organization. And the next thing you know, they have something ugly that's festering in that organization. It could be harassment. It could be pay equity issues. It could be a lot of different things. And some of those things you think of as a traditional HR person, But this ombudsman could be an HR person, but think about it. A lot of times HR people are there to really help today with the administration of the the Mm -hmm. human relations functions more more than anything else. That ombudsman would take that festering issue and take it directly to the command in Mm -hmm. that division so that it can be solved at the highest levels and it doesn't fester and it doesn't become an issue uh, that perhaps amounts to a lawsuit of some kind. Mm -hmm. It it could be, it could be a lot of different things, but um we like that parallel ombudsman. The other thing is ombudsmen have to be natural to that. They're very, very talent based. Mm -hmm. So I need to be able to have conversations with people Mm
3: -hmm.
2: where they can be open with me and I can help them think through a problem or think through a situation. And it's based on my talent. It's not based on my job title. It's based on my role, which makes it a very, very powerful position to be. And I don't mean power from the standpoint of authority, power, mm-hmm. but the power to make a difference in somebody's life.
1: Yeah. And I can see, you know, having someone who who is a bridge and a voice. And, and I think you're right, you need someone, you need to pick someone who is a great listener, you know, empathetic, and also is very credible when they go up the ladder. So
2: we did some uh, training yeah. in a in a city and the um the trainer for the, the uh, fire department oh, yeah, um, it went through the ombudsman training. And at the end of it, he said, you know what? I didn't know why I spend so much time talking to people and hmm. helping and supporting people and going directly to the fire chief about issues. I'm the ombudsman. And we've, we've had people have that epiphany quite yeah. often in businesses as well where they say, you know what, that's not my formal role, but I'm actually the ombudsman here. Right. And, and I'll tell you from my perspective, I was the ombudsman everywhere I worked. Hmm. The reason why I was really involved in diversity inclusion programs, because it allowed me to have visibility in to help people. And I had no fear of going to command and saying, this is going to be a problem if we don't do something about it.
1: I love that. I can I think of someone in our organization who's who plays that role, and she's just... Everyone trusts her. Everyone knows she's got the interests of people at, at heart and at the organization. So, thanks for uh, for putting a name on it. So let's get to your last principle, uh, mission. Take me into that one. What is it, and then what are the lessons for the corporate world?
0: Mission was probably my most startling realization when I when I left the navy and I went to the private sector on 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 a submarine. And again. It's not exclusive to submarines. A a lot of organizations, specifically military, have this mindset. But we're not all that concerned about your activity. I mean, (laughs) it's good for you. You've been up for 27 hours, just like everybody else. We're much more concerned in the result you produce, but not just any result, the result that actually works towards the mission. So this hyper-focus on what results you need to produce which would be your role, which is again very different than, than a job. And how does that fit into the big piece of what the mission is of that submarine? When you have people that understand what their role is, what results they need to produce, what expect, expectations they have, then they will produce much better results. And therefore, you will have collectively, community, you will have a better result of the mission. The the, the fact that most organizations to this day are still activity driven is a huge detriment to their productivity. And and I'll sum it up this way. It's amazing that you can go to your local deli and I'm I'm, I'm talking non-COVID world now. Uh, You can go to your local deli at 11 o'clock and walk right in and order your sandwich. But at 1145, there's a line out the door because we all know human beings can only eat between noon and 1 p.m. And we also know that you have to be at your desk at 8.30 in the morning, or how can you possibly be productive? And amazingly enough, 99.7% of the staff finishes their work for the day exactly at 5.30. (laughs) This is classic activity, and it's a very bad measure of performance. A much better measure of performance is results. So can we get an organization to think, what are the results of the individual? What are the results of the team? What are the results of the crew? And then how do they all boil up into the mission? You've got a much more focused, efficient, effective machine. So it's all about focusing on the mission.
1: So in your in your last, and you may not be able to disclose this, but in your last sailing, what was the mission that you conveyed to the crew?
0: The mission is always the same on a submarine, no matter what submarine huh, you're Really? Yeah. Okay. And the mission is to fight the submarine. What? To fight the submarine? To fight the submarine. You are continuously preparing to fight the submarine. Now, depending on the type of submarine. You might be fighting by preparing to launch missiles. You might be fighting to preparing to launch torpedoes. You might be fighting for getting ready to launch a SEAL detachment, mm-hmm. but you are always getting ready. You're not out there to hang out. You're out there to do battle, and that's what you're prepared for. And you can't survive if you're not ready to fight the submarine. Mm-hmm. So the mission is always the same. Now, just like different units, right, the mission of a university is different than a mission of a high-tech pharmaceutical company. But I would say they're not, as, they're not as different as you think. At the end of the day, it still comes down to what are the results that have to be produced and what are the results of each team or each person that they have to perform in their role in order to get to the big mission. I would say the template is actually identical. Um, so it's always fight the submarine. That's the mission.
1: And Deb, how do you take this concept of mission into the business world or into any world of an organization that wants to create a more inclusive, uh, team
2: businesses think that they're focused on the mission and they have um, usually plaques on the wall that talk about mission statements <laughs> and vision <laughs>
1: statements yeah yeah um, that's quite common
2: <laughs> yeah but but reality is they don't really take that mission and vision and apply it to the roles of the individuals who are in those organizations so one of the things that we do in in our mission training is we actually have breakout groups where individual roles are discussed Mm. in terms of the mission and vision and values of that organization and how they apply to it. We teach them to think about the mission in terms of their role, and then we teach them to uh, convey that to the people who work for them Mm. so Mm. that people all up and down the organization have a very, very clear picture of what the mission, vision, and values of that organization Mm. are according to the roles of the people who are performing that mission.
1: Hmm. So it's being able to not only hear it, but articulate it up, down and around. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah so that you not, show you understand it.
2: Yeah. It's not just a fancy plaque that tells me what I'm supposed to think about how I feel about customers right. and all that. And if you think about the organizations, and, and this is not in any way a political statement, but if you think about the organizations that really do it well, mm-hmm. whether it's, um, you know, Southwest Airlines or mm-hmm. it's, um Chick Fil A, mm-hmm. they take those mission and 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 vision statements and they make it real and tangible to the people who are performing those functions every single day, mm. and it differentiates them and what they do.
0: Mm. Could I could I uh, share? A, yeah, a, a please. Real world story to Deb's point. We we were hired um, a very successful manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, facility that they produced all, all sorts of different types of fabrics and North Carolina that that's not a growth industry but these guys were doing great. In fact, they were going so great they brought us in to work with their middle middle managers because they 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 thought they were onboarding too quickly and skipping corners. Uh, but they had an amazing culture and this is how amazing their culture was. Bart, I I, uh, I was just doing a walk around to get a feel for what type of environment mm-hmm. they had. and it was I don't know two o'clock in the morning and I'm in a mill right. This is this is from mill. <laughs> And I got the I got the nice clothes on and a little monitoring right, skirt right. with the puff link. And there's this, there's this gentleman pushing a broom. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this guy's gonna love me. <laughs> well, he love me. I, I went over and I said, Hey, you know, do you have a moment? Um, I, don't stop what you're doing. In fact, you got a broom, I'd be happy to help you. I've pushed plenty of them and he said, No, you don't need to push, but whatever. And I said, Hey, could you tell me about the mission of the company? And and he literally stopped and pointed to the wall and said, Yeah, there it is, it's on the wall. So I I, I thought I knew where I was. So I said, Can you tell me? What you have to do with the mission, and the mission was all about customer focus. It was all uh-huh. about safety. It was all about you know making sure that 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 we value our, our employees. And he stops, and he and he stops pushing the broom, and he turns me, Bart, and he looks in me eye, and he uh-huh. said, "You know what? You might see somebody pushing a broom, but these machines are extremely extremely sophisticated. If I don't keep this space clean, what does that person feel like when they come into their shift about their work environment?" Hmm. Even worse, if I don't clean this place up, if I don't do my job and some of this material gets in these machines, those machines break.
3: Hmm.
0: Depending on how they break, someone gets hurt. And even if they don't get hurt, it's going to slow productivity and it's going to affect us getting our product to market. This guy's pushing the broom. Wow. And I'm like, this guy could be a CEO in most companies. Wow, I mean, that's, impressive. that's why these guys are growing in an industry that's dying because every hmm. single person knew their role and he knew how that role fit into the mission. Right. Then he picked up his girl <coughs> and basically told me to get the heck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> he,
1: had, he had the job, he had the mission to complete.
0: But to Deb's point, that's what it means to understand your role. And he hmm. absolutely understood it. And I have no doubt they didn't have downtime. And interestingly problems.
2: enough, we talked last time about, you know, the idea of good to great. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the organizations that want to work with us, they're already good. Yeah, they're they want to be well. great. Hmm. And that's an example. They're already obviously doing really good things because their janitor Mm -hmm. knows what the mission is and why he fits into that mission, but they wanted to be great.
1: Hmm. Well, I think that's, that's a good kind of um, closure here. I mean, just your, your points really resonate, you know, the onboarding, making sure everyone matters if you contribute, you know, fostering crew immunity, having an ombudsman and then getting everyone united around the mission. Uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, to your point, John, what, what you said, you know, you've got these incredibly complex machines operating in some of the most difficult environments in the world. And you've got 120 people, 80% of whom have high school diplomas, you know, and there's never been an accident. It's a real testament to the system that you've now kind of pulled out. I, I have a final question for you, John. And I've got one for you, Deb. Do you miss it? I mean, do you miss that being in this environment where everyone comes together in this way because i think it is pretty unique
0: yes i don't miss the lifestyle because it was horrible um i i don't miss the environment which was horrible uh <laughs> i miss i miss the community hmm. i i miss the fact that i knew everybody in that environment would literally lay down their life for me and these are people that hate my guts. It's going still <laughs> lay their life down for me, and I would do the same for them. Uh, and I've never experienced that anywhere else in the world, and it's it's a pretty special feeling. So yes, I miss the camaraderie. Is the is the low hanging fruit? So the here's
2: 30s. the truth, though: uh, once a submariner, always a submariner. <laughs> and John talks to a lot of people he he didn't actually even serve with, oh, yeah. but
3: they'll matter. reach
2: out to him and talk to him, mm-hmm. and they're they're still a community. So hmm. it's it, it doesn't leave them. I, I had
0: an hour conversation, Bart, the other day with the, with the senior vice president of Bank of America, who I don't know, um, but he, but he was a, he was a submarine commander and hmm. um, he just reached out and we just talked to each other for an hour and we told hmm. lies, lies to each other and see <laughs> each other well and said, if we can ever help each other, let us know. It and is now a, we're
1: hating each other's guts. <laughs> yeah, now we're hating each other's guts.
0: Well, he's an officer, so we already had problems. Right. <laughs> I'd help them where I could, um, but you know we're we're a sisterhood and we're a brotherhood, and and mm-hmm. um, that I do miss. That I do well,
1: miss. Well, well, and then now that's why you're doing what you're doing to try and create this environment. And, and Deb, I'll give you the last word here. Is it possible to create this kind of environment that John misses, still misses, in organizations that are not submerged for three months on end?
2: <laughs> yes, it is, um, because we have. And maybe in 2016, when we first talked about the system, you know, it occurred to me, well, you know, is this something that we can actually take to businesses or take to communities or churches or universities? You know, we work with all of them and have it really work outside of that very specific environment of a submarine. The reality is we've been doing it and it does work. It doesn't work exactly like it does on a submarine, but it works well enough and you can prove the results of it enough that we filed for a patent and we have a published patent on it. So there's, there's your proof. I mean, there's actual yeah, evidence that what we're doing has made a difference in, in organizations.
1: And so for people who want to kind of delve more into what you do, where can they go? What should they read? Uh, what's the best starting point?
2: Yeah, we're the easiest people in the world to find. <laughs> yeah, we would not be good <laughs>
1: You're not on your water for three months yeah. anymore with no contact. <laughs>
2: right. So they could they could get um, either one of our books, Diversity and Inclusion, the Submarine Way or up Periscope, um, putting traditional leadership in the crosshairs. And they can get it on Amazon or any actually anywhere mm-hmm. in the world in just about any bookstore uh, in the world. So they could get our books. They could also go to our website, The Submarine Way. And in fact, if you Google The Submarine Way, we're the only ones out there. You'll get all the information on us, probably more than you'd ever want on um, <laughs> what we're doing. Our p- press releases, who we've worked with, testimonials, um, all of that stuff is, is out there and available. And we would love to have a chat. We have a, a, a chat with people who don't necessarily want or need to work with us today but they have secession planning that they're doing in the next six mm-hmm. months, and they want some help with that. And that is, you know, one of the one of the very defined skill sets we have is to help with secession planning because we're talent based people and strength based mm-hmm. people, and we can help them do that. So uh, we love to just chat. You can become kind of part of our our network. We have a crew page on Facebook, and those are just all leaders who want to talk about leadership and who want to you know, talk about what mm-hmm. their organizations are doing. We also have a business page on LinkedIn and um, we have over 1200 followers and it goes up by three or 400 um, a month. It seems like of people who want to follow us and get unique content mm-hmm. to that business page on LinkedIn. So you you Google the submarine way and you will find us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we will put links to all of those, uh, your books, to your pages in the show notes. I uh, I want to thank you both for coming on. I mean, it's we could keep talking about this forever, John. I'm sure we'll have, have to book a separate call just for me to ask you submarine-specific questions, and we can <laughs> we can geek out. Uh, but no, it's it's really neat. I mean, I think you know what you've given insight into is just this incredibly unique environment that forces you to work to create an inclusive team, and I think it's really worthwhile too in this in this very polarized era that we find ourselves in, where we're becoming aware of our biases that. You know, awareness is important but so too is finding a way to respect and appreciate and work through our uh, with people who are different from us so really appreciate you both taking the time to uh, to share your your system with us today thank you thank
2: was, you for, it having was a pleasure. It was for having us, us. It was fun. Thank you
1: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John and Deb of the submarine way and a uh, fascinating story about how life in an incredibly challenging environment, can give rise to a real organizational system for promoting cohesion and inclusion. So neat stuff. And I encourage you to read their book. We'll put the link to it in our show notes. Next time on the Inspire podcast, I welcome entrepreneur Andrew Bromfield. He left behind a predictable and uh, sure path to embrace technology and go out on his own. And he tells me his story. And also shares with me some insights into how to support Black entrepreneurs during a time when I know many of us, uh, myself included, are looking to amplify and support uh, BIPOC voices. So great conversation with Andrew Bromfield. Tune in next time uh, for the Inspire podcast. If you haven't already, please rate, review the pod. It's how we get noticed, how we get found, and I really appreciate it. Thanks.